In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. How will Sunny Purdue handle higher education? Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Greg Bluestein, joined by Patricia Murphy. We are just part of the Political Insider crew here at the AJC. Quick reminder that if you're not already following or subscribing to this show, please do it on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts. So, in less than 20 years, Sunny Purdue has gone from leading the state of Georgia as a two-term governor the first Republican governor since Reconstruction, to Agriculture Secretary under President Trump. The United States Department of Agriculture is such a meaningful agency, so broad, so vast, so deep, and so meaningful to so many people. What can be more noble than food? Now, Sonny Perdue will be heading the University of System of Georgia as its chancellor. So we'll dig into that today. That means he'll be in charge of the two dozen or so public colleges and higher education institutions. AJC senior reporter Tamar Hallerman has covered Purdue for many years in Washington. She's also a former political insider, once in future, always, always in our hearts. Tamar, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me back, Greg. Patricia Murphy, the co-host of Politically Georgia. Thanks as always for joining us. Greg, it's great to be with you, (laughs) co-host. So Tamar, you never got the chance to cover Sonny Perdue as governor, but you covered him in Washington as the agriculture secretary for one of the nation's largest bureaucracies. What, what kind of takeaways did you get from that? There were many. Um, as I covered him during his four years as a cabinet secretary, you know, he was one of the only cabinet secretaries to really make it through to the end of Trump's term. Um, you know, a notoriously mercurial boss who would hire and fire people um, so rapidly. And and Sonny was interesting because he really did manage to stay in Trump's good graces his entire tenure in Washington. And he did that by kind of really learning his old bosses, um, you know, kind of what would make him tick. And I remember in his first week as Agriculture Secretary, he was credited with helping save the North American Free Trade Agreement, uh, which Donald Trump was very intent on tearing up. Uh, you know, that's the free, free trade agreement that was uh, signed during the Bill Clinton years between Canada and Mexico. And Sonny was credited with literally taking out a map of the United States and pointing to all the different agricultural regions that would be very much hurt by exiting that agreement and basically saying, Mr. President, these are your voters. You know, a lot of these are agriculture regions in the South, in the Midwest, and they uh, stand to lose the most by killing this agreement. So there were kind of moments like that where where he did have a really keen understanding of, of how Trump clicked. He was also very much a salesman for Trump's trade wars with 
with China. Um, you know, he would go on these RV tours around the country. Uh, early in his tenure, he'd do all these town halls with different farmers. And there was definitely a lot of anxiety over what was going to happen. You know, Trump was had very tough rhetoric against China when it came to trade that ended up to, uh, in all sorts of tariffs and stuff like that, that really upended the status quo for a lot of farmers, including here in Georgia, where pecans are a huge export of ours and, and China was a giant market. And so he really was the one to kind of say, you know, farmers, we love you, we respect you, but you need to take this temporary pain in order to get long-term gain. And he really was treated like a rock star among farm groups that really saw them as a champion of their interests. At the same time, he got very fierce criticism from a lot of environmental groups um, who didn't like his deregulatory moves. He was, of course, an enemy of, of more liberal and anti-hunger groups that were upset at some of the, the red tape he was putting in when it came to work requirements for, for food stamps. And he also drew the ire of many of the employees of the massive Department of Agriculture, which he oversaw. He did all sorts of things to kind of reorganize that. He moved two of their agencies to Kansas City, which angered a lot of folks. So definitely, depending on who you talk to, he was either a hero or a villain. Yeah, well, you use the word notorious, notoriously mercurial to describe President Trump, but that could have also described Sonny Perdue because he had it. He, well, he has a temper. Um, he is known for being very uh, adamant about the causes that he is passionate about. Uh, and Patricia, he has this amazing, interesting story about how he became the, the first Republican governor since Reconstruction because he was a longtime Democratic state senator from middle Georgia, played football as a walk-on at, at UGA, was was big in the agribusiness community, um, ran for state senate, was, was one of the most powerful Democratic state senators under the Georgia Gold Dome, but switched parties and became kind of a pariah um, for a long time because the Democrats in power wanted to make an example out of him. Wanted to show other other conservative Democrats what it would be like if they switched to the Republicans. So he was turned into this backbencher, and he decided, "Hey, if I'm already being relegated, I might as well run for governor." So he runs against Roy Barnes, who was the overwhelming favorite. Outraised him. I think it was something like twelve to one. I mean, had this huge, enormous financial advantage. Sonny Perdue got all this free media with those famous ads comparing. Roy Barnes to King Roy, this sort of Godzilla-like, <laughs> lizard-like creature that was romping through the state capitol. All through that, you know, surprisingly was gaining a lot of traction among yellow dog Democrats, among conservative Democrats all over the state, and wins election and goes in to immediately start, in his view at least, reforming state government that had grown uh, too complacent. Yeah, and I think that that entire arc really speaks to what we've come to know about Sonny Perdue, which is that he is really a survivor in a lot of ways. He's almost a shapeshifter, and he always seems to have the last laugh. I mean, what are the chances that the man who is running against Governor Brian Kemp has a first cousin who is now one of the highest profile appointees of said Governor Kemp at the height of their primary battle? It didn't come before, and it's not going to come after. It is in the dead middle of it. And uh, Sonny Perdue has a way of uh, being in the right place at the right time with the right message. Um, I think also he has a longstanding relationship with Governor Perdue that really is not to be underestimated. Of course, he appointed Governor Kemp to be Secretary of State. The, the lifespan of this 
discussion is too long for that to be a quid pro quo. It's not that at all. But it's that these two men trust each other, um, have relied on each other in the past. And Purdue is sort of pulling this absolute hat trick of getting appointed at 75 to head an agency or head a, a group over which he has no direct experience. Certainly, he ran the state for eight years. But the one criticism of him is that he is does not have any direct higher education experience. Um, That's a frustration of academics that we have all talked to. However, it to me, it is just the most remarkable political ongoing story is just the many lives and times of Sonny Perdue. And it looks like here on the eve of uh, what might be his biggest coup in history. It's really amazing. And he'll be doing this. And just as he was As the agriculture secretary, I think he will come in as either a hero or a villain. And we've talked to lawmakers who say that he will either sort of uh, bring in a fresh uh, take on this job, really use the university system of Georgia to make educated, job-ready students and graduates Georgia's number one product uh, to woo companies here by saying we have all of these high-tech, highly trained workers ready to roll as soon as you guys open up shop. Um, So I think that's his governor's experience speaking. On the other hand, we've talked to Democrats in particular who are very critical of Sonny Perdue, find him to be an ideologue and don't trust him with the concept of academic freedom. So we'll, we'll have to see exactly what his real record is in this job. But going into it, it looks like it's a, a continuation of the themes we've seen from Sonny Perdue. Yeah, tomorrow that's something we haven't seen in this job in a while, is a polarizing figure, right? Usually it's a sort of a, a nondescript academic, you know, someone who comes from another state system, Another, you know, somewhere else, Midwest or South or somewhere, who comes in and and takes over and is very little, not not well known, not exactly politically polarizing. Well, Sonny Purdue is the opposite. You know, whether you like him or hate him, you know where he stands, and you know he was a two-term governor, Republican, and one of Donald Trump's top deputies doing doing his four years as president. So, a very polarizing figure. For sure. And I think one through line that we've seen throughout these kind of many incarnations of Sonny Perdue's career over the years is the fact that he has great allies in great places. He has a network that truly is unparalleled in Georgia politics. And for many years, especially during the early days of the Trump administration, it seemed like nobody in Georgia politics could kind of top the network that he had created. You know, of course, he had Governor Kemp, who Patricia mentioned, uh, he he helped, you know, or he appointed him to be Secretary of State in 2002. He, of course, supported um, Governor Kemp early on in his career when he was first running for state Senate. He, of course, was was responsible for getting President Trump to endorse Brian Kemp during the Republican uh, uh, primary back in 2018. And I mean, even after that, it just was so clear that he just had his allies in all the right places. Um, You know, people that might have started with him as kind of very junior people like Nick Ayers, all of a sudden were in the running to become chief of staff for Donald Trump. You know, he was running the office of, of vice president uh, Mike Pence during those years. He, of course, had his cousin David Perdue as U.S. senator. He had all of these allies sprinkled throughout the White House, Washington, mm-hmm. all around Georgia, up and down the GOP. And that's come to help him again and again. And of course, having somebody like Governor Kemp in your corner 
um, is a pretty darn good ally to have, especially when you're you know retired and and maybe looking to get back into politics. Yeah, tomorrow I'll never forget being up in Washington with you to cover the inauguration, and we we knew that Trump was on the edge or on the verge of tapping. Sonny Perdue as agriculture secretary, uh, we weren't sure when it would happen. We had prep stories ready to go. And I remember right as we were walking into dinner, we got, we got the, uh, the confirmation and went on our phones and just kind of pressed the button really quickly to publish the story. But it, you're right. It really did remind us of what a major role Georgia figures had in the Trump administration. You know, but not, not just uh, Sonny Perdue, but Tom Price, the uh, <laughs> very briefly the Health and Human Services Secretary, and figures up and down, you know, the inner workings of the White House were a lot of Georgians. Let's take a quick break, and when we get back, we can talk about the political implications of Sonny Perdue's pick. This is politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal Constitution. Hip hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song. The celebration. The Atlanta Journal Constitution presents hip hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants a rhythm, but they don't want the blues. The biggest names in hip hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip hop. 50 years. No one can deny one film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip hop. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. And we're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Don't forget, as a bonus to AJC subscribers, you can sign up for the Morning Jolt, our daily political newsletter that sets the stakes and the agenda for Georgia politics. I know Patricia and I work late at night, early in the morning with our colleague Tia Mitchell on the Jolt every day, and we would love if you subscribed and read it. And you could have found lots on Sunny Purdue in the Jolt. And that leads us to our next segment, the political implications of Sunny Purdue's pick, because... You guys both mentioned it, but the bizarre kind of otherworldly factor of David Perdue, the former senator who is Sonny Perdue's first cousin, challenging Brian Kemp, and yet Brian Kemp still going forward with putting Sonny Perdue in place to be the next chancellor. And let's let's be clear, Brian Kemp can't select the next chancellor, but what he can do is make it very clear to the 19 members of the Board of Regents who his pick is, and also sort of clear the way by getting the right regions, in his view, the, the, the regions who would support his pick in place. And so over the last few months, he's installed four or five new regions, a new regions chairman, um, and gotten some regions who were opposed to Sonny Perdue kind of out of the way. So a clear overhaul of the Board of Regents over the last year. He's devoting significant political capital to this, Patricia, in hopes of getting his man in this job. And it worked out, it ended up being a unanimous vote. I guess the question is, what does he stand to gain from all this? Well, I think he gains a number of things. First of all, it is just sort of a flex to say, yes, you can run against me, David Perdue, and I'm going to appoint whoever I want to appoint to run the Board of Regents. Um, and of course, to your point, he does not appoint Sonny Perdue. He it actually required a number of appointments in order to make the Sonny Perdue pick 
a real possibility because I don't believe Sonny Beardu had the votes with the makeup of the former board, and now he does have the votes, and that's very clear. I think it also just functionally takes Sonny Perdue off the stage and an enormous uh, game inside uh, political circles, a sort of parlor game was what when is Sonny Perdue going to say something? When are we going to hear from Sonny Perdue on this uh, governor's race? Whose side is he going to pick? And this is not your average primary, as we all know. This is blood sport. It feels like brother against brother. It is the most personal family feud for two people who are not actually family that I've really ever seen. And then you add the family dynamic into it and (laughs) you've got the uh, Georgia primary. Um, But I think it really is a, as an unusual display of strength, in my opinion, from Brian Kemp, that he's able to maneuver this, make it happen, and take uh, who might have been expected to be one of David Perdue's strongest advocates, um, take him off the field. And one quick thing I'd say about Sonny Perdue as a campaigner, uh, by the end of the 2020 election and the 2021 runoffs, Sonny Perdue is like the only person left having fun out there when he was campaigning. He was on the fly around. He was giving the speeches. He was leading the chants at the rallies. And um, Kelly Leffler was having her own challenges. Uh, David Perdue had been exposed to COVID. So a couple of times it was just Sonny Perdue. And he loved it. It was clear who's a very happy warrior and he's very happy in this space. And so I think um, he is going to be a strong ally for Kemp. If Kemp is still around, uh, he'll be a strong ally for Kemp for many years going forward. Yeah, tomorrow, and there was campaign stops where Sonny Perdue would speak longer than David Perdue. Uh, he clearly relished the campaign trail. He loved going to these retail stops and he was particularly popular in his sort of backyard of, of middle Georgia. That said, his impact as an endorser for either Kemp or his cousin, David Perdue, you know, who knows how many votes would have been swung by that. But this sort of effectively sidelines him. He's, I guess he can be seen as a tacit supporter of Governor Kemp because he's now Governor Kemp's uh, higher education pick. But it da- kind of takes him off the campaign trail. We don't expect him to endorse anyone. But at the same time, you know, it deprives David Perdue of one of his major members of his inner circle. I don't think this is why Governor Kemp, you know, he had other reasons to do that that we'll talk about. But but it certainly is sort of the, as Patricia said, kind of the, the power move in, in a series of flex moves that also involve a tapping a new Supreme Court, state Supreme Court justice without going through the conventional process and muscling through some key legislation in a matter of, of days that in a process that usually takes a lot longer. Absolutely. And as Patricia mentioned, this is a man who loves kind of the backslapping of the campaign trail um, and something he's just very well suited for. And it's kind of a role that a lot of politicians really absolutely hate. But being chancellor of a university is going to be a very different thing for him. He's going to face a lot of internal resistance, you know, from professors who are very angry about changes that were made last year to uh, post-tenure review guidelines that a lot of folks fear will make it easier to remove outspoken professors. Of course, students who might be more progressive, you know, Governor Purdue hasn't talked a ton about what he would do, but he did mention to you, Greg, about wanting to endorse kind of more conservative values, um, which could, of course, lead to a giant culture shift um, and a culture war in our universities, especially as Republicans continue to talk about critical race theory and kind of what can and cannot be talked about when we discuss race in this country. So this is certainly going to be a different type of job for him. He's not going to have that kind of rock star reception that he used to get at 
Republican gatherings in Perry that he would get when he'd meet with farmers when he was Secretary of Agriculture. Uh, professors and students on the whole will be a much more different crew. And as you mentioned at the top of the show, Greg, in general, chancellors of universities tend to be kind of more boring administrative figures. And so this will be very different for him. Yeah, Patricia, Sunny Purdue will not be boring or your typical administrator. He's, he's a former governor with his own power base, right? And and as we talked about, Governor Kemp did owe him. Um, this ain't quid pro quo, but the reason Governor Kemp is Governor Kemp is probably because of Sonny Purdue. Way back in 2002, when, when Brian Kemp first ran for state senate, he got an endorsement from Sonny Purdue. In 2010, when there was an open vacancy for Secretary of State, it was Sonny Perdue who tapped Brian Kemp. Then in sort of a out of office, looking to run for something else, Republican, Sonny Perdue anointed him the next Secretary of State, and he used Brian Kemp used that platform to run for governor. And then, of course, in the middle of the 2018 runoff campaign against Lieutenant Governor, then Lieutenant Governor Casey Cagle. A very close battle. It looked like Brian Kemp was beginning to pull away because of that infamous leaked tape. But even so, it was still a pretty close fight. Well, Sonny Perdue clearly, you know, and it's, it's, it's unequivocal. There's no doubt at all. Even Trump has said it. But Sonny Perdue helped convince Donald Trump to endorse Brian Kemp. And, and once he got that endorsement, about six days before the runoff, the race was over. I mean, you know, you see polls from those times where the numbers go from close to not even, you know, not even the same ballpark. So there's that political payback. But there's also, you know, a sense from the governor's administration that there's a status quo at the university system of Georgia that they just feel like is too staid, is need, needs a shakeup. And they feel like someone who shook up state government and shook up one of the largest federal bureaucracies is the guy to do it. Yes. And I would say, you know, one hallmark of Sonny Purdue's personality is that he really does not shy away from a fight. He, in fact, kind of likes it. And so I think he is somebody who Governor Kemp trusts to go in and um, maybe even exert his own agenda in a way that is could be unusual in this in this role. So we know that uh, all of these issues of, as Tamar said, critical race theory, um, even girls in sports, a lot of these culture war issues that are cross-pollinating with education issues, Governor Kemp has really run headlong into them at the beginning of 2022 for a couple of reasons. First of all, it worked for Republicans in Virginia. And so um, I think we're seeing a number of Republican governors around the country using that same set of issues to try and pump up their own 2022 campaigns. But also it has just been at the very top of Governor Kemp's agenda this year to push these education-focused bills and in a way to, ironically, to, in Republicans' minds, words pull back on politics, but he is in this case injecting a very political figure into um, the head of the university system. Um, And one thing to keep an eye on is that anything that is seen as overtly political or as endangering academic freedom and endangering academic quality really will very quickly start to raise the eyebrows of accreditors. And so that was something that was brought up briefly when Sonny Purdue's name was mentioned at first. The accreditation, excuse me, agency has dropped those objections, but um, we know they'll be watching. We know that they'll be watching the University System of Georgia under Sonny Purdue's management and watching for the this exact 
set of issues? Is this role being politicized? Is academic freedom, academic quality, is that suffering because there's a political agenda here? And we will wait to find out. I'm not exactly sure um, how Sunny Purdue's tenure will go, but it'll be one unlike we've ever seen before. Well, Tamar, look, before we go, you mentioned, yeah, Sunny Purdue has only spoken very rarely about this gig. And it was a year ago or so, I bumped into him at an event and I just kind of went up to him with, you know, before I turned my recorder and asked him if he wanted to talk, he said, sure, turned on my recorder. He confirmed he was interested. Um, he talked about conservative values. He said he was worried about the sort of um, cultural revolution going on. I'm, I'm, that's my words, but he said he was worried about the sort of li- liberal progressive movement going on in higher education, which is something that conservatives, you hear a lot from conservatives. He also talked about the job as a way to bolster economic development. So you were talking, we were just talking about the pushback that we might see from academia, from professors, from students, but he also has a chance to kind of surprise everyone maybe and, 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 and not, not be as politically polarizing and maybe pivot to values that everyone can sort of agree on, which is we want our graduates to help make Georgia a better place and help foster a better environment for our state. Yeah. And this comes at a time, of course, where especially Atlanta is luring a ton of tech jobs. And of course, we have our super huge film industry that that continues to be a giant source of jobs. And of course, there's going to be- By the way, those tax credits started under his administration, which people sometimes forget. Yeah. So of course, there's going to be a huge push to kind of get Georgia graduates into a good position so that they'll be able to fill those jobs to keep a lot of those smart young Georgians in the state as opposed to moving to a place like like California or, or Washington State. Um, so that'll certainly be an opportunity for him. And we're also seeing, of course, this, this burgeoning sector with electric vehicles and battery manufacturing facilities being built here. And so that could be another opportunity for him to, to try and strengthen the pipeline for that. What a great segue to our next episode, because I think we'll be talking a little bit more about electric vehicles and Rivian on Friday's show. So if you're not subscribing to the AJC, please go to subscribe.ajc.com backslash podcast. And your first month of unlimited digital access is just 99 cents. Can you believe it? Just 99 cents tomorrow. Is that astounding or what? What a deal. What a deal. That's subscribe.ajc.com backslash podcast so you know what's really going on and you can help Patricia, Tamar, and Jay and I press on. Well, that's our show. Thank you to Tamar Hallerman, to Patricia Murphy, to our producer, Jay Black. We will talk to you Friday on Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Oh,